Welcome to the Frank's Percussion Podcast. I'm Frank Leo. This episode is an experiment in percussion podcasting. My guest, Burke Dogherty, and I will be sampling symbols for you, the details of which I'll explain shortly during the episode. This is part two of my original talk with Burke. If you heat bronze up till it glows and then let it air cool, if you were to strike it with a stick or drop it, it would shatter like a porcelain plate. There has been a boom of independent symbol smithing over the last 10 years in the United States. Instagram has been my primary method of discovering new makers. The problem with finding symbols on Instagram is that I'm almost always listening through awful tinny phone speakers. My assumption and hope is that most podcast consumers are listening in their car or on headphones on better speakers. So this is my attempt to present better quality symbol audio samples for the world of artisan symbol makers. I have to admit that this first experiment didn't go perfectly and there will be some volume wonkiness in the later part of the show. But overall, I think this episode was a success and I hope it catches on as an improvement in the marketing of percussion instruments. This podcast is brought to you by Burke's Works and Coide Symbols USA. Please enjoy. We are on to part B. We did have a break in the interim where we talked a little bit about uh, talking on this podcast again, maybe six or eight months down the line. But we're on to the symbol listening segment of the podcast, which is one that I'm really excited about. And I don't know that a lot of people are doing this on their podcasts, Burke. So I feel proud for kind of setting this up. And and as I said to you before, I'm so excited to be talking to you. I have all good feelings right now. But how this is going to work, because we are remote, you're in Virginia, I'm in Long Island, is that in preparation for this podcast, you've sent me a small battery of different crash symbols. I'm going to play them here on my microphones, give a test. I have some notes. I'm going to react to these symbols. And then I'm going to maybe ask you about some things, maybe give you, give you the opportunity to comment on why I might like these things or what it is that I think I'm hearing or what part of the process caused this symbol to sound as it does. And then on the back end of this, you're also going to play some of the symbols that you have in your pile in your mm-hmm. collection <laughs> pile is a, an undercutting word in your collection sometimes um, it's a pile sometimes, <laughs> uh and and although i won't be able to quite hear them because we are talking to each other on the phone we have rigged this setup i'll still be able to ask you some questions about maybe some of the language you're using maybe some of the choices you made maybe where we can see these symbols or buy them or however that goes does that sound great sounds perfect let's go okay Without further ado, my first one on the list, maybe it should have been my last one, is the Brilliant 18 Medium. Um, And this is a crash symbol. I'm going to go ahead and play it. Oh, I'm going to play it a little bit. First, I actually have to check the levels on my mic, which I can do live because of the way my setup is. Bear with me, Burke. So I just checked the levels, and this is the Brilliant 18 Medium Crash. (laughs) 
Wow. I picked this symbol first because I'm 95% sure this is the one I'm going to go with. And that's odd. That statement is odd to me, given my initial impression and what I thought of this symbol. I'll explain. This is the symbol shimmers endlessly. It's got an almost electric snare sort of hissing that's activated when you touch it at the low end of its dynamic range and at the high end of its dynamic range. Mm -hmm. It just has this beautiful I don't want it's not a, I don't think it's a wash, but it is it does sound like it's got rivets, which was something that you had said to me. Now, I'll explain that it's strange. I'm think I'm keeping this one because originally I didn't like it. When I first struck it at home, I thought, "Oh yeah, shimmers, but it's, it's kind of harsh." Yeah. It yeah, it really it's very responsive. It feels a little stiff. My initial impression was, "I don't know, that's for me." Then I got to gig this symbol. I took it to some of my hybrid DJ gigs, and it was so dynamic to play. I found myself wanting to hit the symbol less. When I say less, less hard. In a live setting where there's other music going on, and it needs some projection. Just for those who might not know, most of my gigging that's set up with a DJ where I'm jamming, dancing, singing along on my drums to pre-recorded music, usually top 40 standards through the years. I'm usually unmiked. The drums are competing and blending in a purely acoustic setting most of the time against high-powered DJ PA systems and usually very good quality commercial speakers. But this symbol spoke through that and and really took to some of the higher frequencies in that music and blended in a way that I surprised me having heard it on its own and even with my drums at home. And actually the first DJ that I worked with complimented the cymbal and he said, hey, what's going on? That's a great cymbal. And I said, ah. This symbol is from Japan. Yeah, I have a podcast <laughs> about the symbol. <laughs> Ooh, I'll tell you all about it. So that's my thing about the brilliant. Um, Burke, what's resonating with you about this? What? Tell me about the brilliant line and maybe why I said some of the things I said. The brilliant line, the Koide brilliants use a B23 alloy. And then there is some zirconium and titanium added to that alloy. And it's a proprietary patented alloy. I don't know to what percentages the other metals are in the symbol. I don't think I'm supposed to know. But those help with the fabrication because of the high tin content, B23, meaning there's 23% tin added to the copper. Copper is the base of the alloy, and then tin and the other trace metals are added in to meet a certain ratio. So adding tin to a symbol makes it more stiff, it's more brittle. Just to give you an idea of how weird bronze is, if you heat bronze up till it glows and then let it air cool, meaning just set it aside and let it cool, if you were to strike it with a stick or drop it, it would shatter like a porcelain plate. 
No kidding. Yes. So what they have to do is it's the, you, they will heat it up red, get it to a certain temperature, and then they'll quickly slip it into a big vat of water. Uh, yes. Sometimes the water may have salt. There's different quenching. That process is called quenching. Different quenching. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that shatter in real life, in person? Or have you only seen videos? I, I've just seen videos of it. But um, I, you know, I because, imagine it makes a hell of a sound. Yeah, you can find videos on, on YouTube about people who have okay. heated up symbols and then dropped them or tried to hammer them, and they just end up with shards. But anyway, so back to the B-23 and the reason that symbol sounds as it does. Okay, it starts with the alloy, and then again it goes to the, the manufacturing process. These are spun form. Uh, he uses a lot of force to, to, to uh, shape it against the, um, the back, backing plate. And then you'll notice on your symbol, you'll see some hammering marks um, that are put in after, it's called overhammering. It's after it's been lathed, uh, they come back in and hammer on the top surface, which adds even more surface tension and makes the symbol even stiffer. So you were correct in your assessment of the feel of the symbol being stiff. It is a stiff symbol. It takes that extra degree of stiffness to push all that sort of white noise and the high frequencies out front and emphasize them. And your assessment of the symbol solo as opposed to in use is a real common phenomenon that, that most beginning drummers aren't are going to be privy to this, but the sound of the symbol in close proximity, that's for your ears only. The way a symbol sounds from 20 feet and out or under a microphone is where it matters. And so you have to possibly make some compromises, some sacrifices in the proximity sound and feel and trust that out in the audience or on the bandstand that the, you're creating the sound that you want. They are two different things. And some frequencies, the minute you add an organ, a guitar, a bass, other instrumentation, a lot of these little nuances that we love of a symbol when we're just tapping it are completely meaningless in a live situation. Now, if you're recording and you have a microphone right over top of the symbol, you can pick up all the little nuances and push those forward in the mix. I think that's part of the phenomenon that was with the you know infamous Nefertiti symbol, Tony Williams symbol, that everybody chases to recreate. That symbol did sound wonderful live. But what you hear on all the recordings is somewhat of a proximity recording. And that will bring out nuances that, that they're more implied in a live situation, whereas in a recorded situation, they're extremely present. And I'm told I've never heard this symbol personally. I've heard Paul Francis mention this and other people of note that have had access to that symbol, that a lot of these famous symbols that we know or associate with drummers when you listen to them up close and personally, they would not appeal to you as a symbol you'd want to buy. Okay. So the player has to know what they're listening to up close and be able to imagine that sound, how it's going to be different at a distance or in a louder context, what nuances are going to disappear and what things are going to maintain or project. It's a strange psychology. It is. And the best way to buy a symbol is to have somebody else play it and you step across the room 
you need to have somebody that has a similar touch and feel as you, but that's right. the way to buy or choose. Right. And, and I struggle with that at the gigs as well. And know your application. Uh, how am I blending? Where am I? Yeah. Yeah. And P.S. As we're looking at these, I am selecting symbols primarily for this gig currently. Although I tend to think, you know, a good symbol is a good symbol if I become accustomed to it. But um, I'm just delighted to be looking and finding some examples that do fit this sort of niche application that my mm -hmm. podcast is largely centered around. I'm really, I've really been enjoying this brilliant. I, I did not want to like this symbol, <laughs> but I took it out and it's definitely going to get its second look sometime or another. Um, I can totally relate to your reaction to that symbol. In fact, the Brilliant series and the Absolute series in the Koei Day uh, family, both of those are our extreme polar opposite ends of the sonic spectrum that Koei Day offers. And they're the ones that use his most unique alloys. And these are very niche sounding symbols. They are unlike other sounds on the market. The Brilliant series to me is like a, a pasty on steroids. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I was going to say earlier you were talking about the symbols when you're about how the symbols sound off of the rig and how they cut and how they project. And it's it was almost like you were describing some pasty 2002 series. Mm -hmm. What was it? Yes. Yeah. Similar idea here, but this is clearly a thing to behold. I know the pasties have gained such huge popularity over the last 20 plus years, is it? But yeah, th this brilliant symbol, this 18 crash, it's, it's speaking to me, Burke. I'd like to put up your symbol next. Okay. This is the Burke's Works 20-inch crash ride. And I just randomly selected that one. There's no particular reason that that symbol was sent other than just to send up an example of a symbol that I've made. Okay. That's fine with me. I love it. And yeah, because the rest of these that I have here are Koide. Let's play this symbol and I'll tell you what I like. dark yeah it's dark it's dark definitely dark <laughs> it's dark it's dark. dark i was trying to make my mind up about it and this statement that came screaming to the top was like this just belongs in the back of an orchestra this symbol i don't know if that's what you intended but to me this sound it brings me back to any orchestra i played in college and some stuff after college it's just i want this to have some soft mallets on it. Actually, I'll play it with some timpani mallets in a second for a suspended roll. But there's just this warmth and, and roughness to the decay that it's lush at the same time. A really complex symbol. How did you start with this one, Bert? It was, in fact, the last, this last year I've been concentrating more on 
what I would call to be a, a traditional style of symbol. Nothing exaggerated in terms of profile height or lowness. Bell size is uniform. Lathing style is very straightforward. And the variations that I was messing around with would have been either in shape or in the size uh, or type of hammer that I used to, to make the symbol. And I also was trying to lean towards a little cleaner sound. So say, imagine sort of a uh, vintage Zildjian A vibe where they were more hand produced and you'd have a lot of variation from symbol to symbol. They'd be slightly dark, but not like a K or not as dark as a K and maybe not quite as either trashy or smoky or complex. So it's a little more down the middle sort of style of symbol. So that's all the symbols that I was presenting at shows fall in that category, except for a few that were outliers that were just curiosity um, experiments. That symbol should be kind of right down the middle, a sort of a workhorse sort of symbol. Maybe I was hoping to have a little more of a jazz context. Orchestral never occurred to me. But I also don't have a real point of reference for that either. It just takes me there. Especially if I close my eyes, it's like I'm in the back of a concert hall. It just, this, I think this would blend. But again, in, in my place and on my drums, where I have a drum set application here, mm -hmm. versus in the back of an orchestra, maybe it's different. But no, this is like, this is the lush and the sort and the grit and the and the rising that I think would just blend so well. I'm gonna play it with some timpani mallets, and then I have a question about the construction of the symbol, actually. Okay. Yeah, especially that low roll, that soft dynamic, like that'll sit next to some strings, next to some French horns, like all of it. I, I just, that's, that's where I take it. Now, maybe that's not your intent for the symbol. I think you're primarily looking for some jazz, some jazz pieces here, right? Ultimately, it starts there. Well, you get a blank, each blank has its own inherent sonic quality to it. I mean, they all sound like blanks, but maybe you'll notice that the bell is pitched a certain way or the, the body of the blank has a certain sonic quality to it. Some of that will continue to stay with the symbol from the whole process, from beginning to end. If I have a blank that seems to be, I don't know, particularly complex or maybe even bland or whatever I'm hearing as I shape it, I follow that path. I don't necessarily start out and say, oh, okay, I want to make a Bill Stewart type ride today. And that's where I want to go. I might start that way, but I don't always get to end up that way. I don't always get the luxury of taking the blank and making it into exactly what I want to have it to be. Sometimes the smart thing to do is I'm going through the process of making the symbol. Um, is to just listen to the symbol, and if I start to hear it go in a particular direction, 
via it could be either a mistake it could just be inherent to what the way i started it the way i was feeling whatever or the blank itself it, i find it usually best to go ahead and deal with uh, control the overriding sonic quality of the symbol at hand and not try to force it to be something that i want it, it sounds a little flaky but I prefer to roll that way. It keeps it fun for me. If I were trying to nail, I'm using a Bill Stewart ride as an example because it's a very identifiable sound. I might have two or three blanks that I'm working. If I had to come up with that sound and then hope that one of those three really does get close to the mark and the other two just came along for the ride. They'll all be viable and decent symbols, but trying to nail the specific nuance of a particular type of symbol for me, it's not always that obtainable. A lot of times I think that some symbols get named after the fact of being created. There's an element of chance, at least at my skill level, of nailing the end product sound to match what I originally initially wanted to start it out to be. The odds of that have gotten better with time, but I try not to take on commissions that much anymore for that very reason. That it's already difficult enough to, for somebody to explain what they're, he they, they're hearing in their head, in their mind, and convey it to my mind, and then for me to actually try to extract that out of a piece of metal. It's gone through several filters along the way that are encumbrances to the end product. So I prefer, if you're looking for a Bill Stewart sounding symbol, that you just listen to all my symbols and see which one sounds the closest to Bill Stewart and, and okay. buy that one. It's, that's the way I do it. Other guys are doing it differently. They'll definitely take on the, the, the challenge. And I'm not entirely convinced that they even get it. I mean, from what I hear, it sounds close. It's in the ballpark, but it does not sound like what I identify to be a Bill Stewart symbol, even though they're calling it that. Um, it has, there's a lot of variations and a lot of headroom that allow a symbol to fall into a category, even if it's not exactly sounding like the one that you're after. That was so, hard to express. No, the the nuance is what we're looking for here because we are in this oppor this unique opportunity to have a symbol maker on the phone, Burke. It's quite all right. Thank uh, you. So, and there's one quick thing I want to add to that point is that I'm hearing their example over Instagram or Facebook or their website, and right. maybe to them right there live, it sounds like what they're intending it to sound like, but when I'm listening to it, I'm not hearing that entirely as being the case. And there's no way for me to tell unless I actually was able to be there and tap the symbol and say, yeah, you nailed it. Or I don't know, it's close, but not quite. Right. It's part of the problem of symbols online. And yeah, cause who, honestly, I, when I'm on Instagram, I'm listening on my phone speakers. Of course. It's not, <laughs> it's just not, I don't put headphones on for Instagram. I don't. So this symbol, the bell on this symbol washes into the rest of the piece, at least the mm -hmm. way I hear it now. I would say it's not a very pronounced bell, and it's pr one of the more jazzy parts of the symbol. It does give you more articulation, but not in a dinging the way I usually expect from a bell. As I look at it, there's a bead that goes around the bell where it meets the shoulder of the symbol and and continues to flare out do you remember what i'm talking about there how uh, did you have how is that hammered because it's a very consistent looking bead 
when you say beta, like if you're looking at the underside of the symbol, the there's more of a, a defined angle or crease as it goes from bell to bow? No, specifically right at the bottom of the bell, mm -hmm. where it meets the bow, it looks almost like there was a weld. I know there wasn't. Okay. But there was a yeah. I know what you're seeing. That and, is and it actually goes around the entire circumference of the bell. What that what you're seeing there is a little bit of harmonic resonance that happens between the cutting tool and the RPMs that the blank is spinning at versus the harmonic resonant point of a frequency. Just like a violin bow going across the string sets up a frequency of a resonance. Uh, my putting the cutting tool on the spinning metal at that location created a, a vibration, and that creates what we call uh, chatter. When you so, lathed? When I lathed. Oh. Um, and something can, it could be something as small as a, uh, okay, like a, um, we call them a casting defect. It would just be a little void in the bronze. Something that tripped up the cutting tool caused it to, to trip and stutter until it regained its traction in cutting, but it set up a frequency that plate was predisposed to vibrate at, and it manifest in cutting tool chatter. So had I been spinning the disc at a different RPM, maybe using a tool that was a little sharper or a little more dull, it might not have set up that resonant frequency at that part of the bell. Sometimes that can happen all the way across the top of the bell. So what you have to do is change something, whether it's speed, density, sharpness, or depth of cut. There are all these factors that play into eliminating um, harmonic chatter like that. So that is a byproduct of the process of making the symbol at the time. It was not put there intentionally. And usually when you have chatter that starts, it's not so easy to remove it, or I don't want to remove any more metal to try to remove it. I try to avoid that at all costs. But that little tiny band you're talking about is, um, you will see it on other handmade symbols. Fascinating. I'm so glad I asked. So if, um, am I... Then, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it wasn't, so not intentional, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with the way the bell is played and the, how the bell kind of washes into the symbol. It how does have to do with the frequency of the bell, though. Oh, had the harmonic resonance you know of, of that course, bell yeah. been at a different sympathetic, it's sympathetic vibration is what's pat is manifesting visually on the surface of the bronze is what you're seeing with that. So had that bell okay. been a little thicker, it wouldn't have happened. How is this bell formed? That one is a stamped bell, meaning it was already pre-stamped into the symbol blank. And then typically, okay. I will usually get a low profile jazz height bell and then go back and hammer the bell some more to raise the profile or change the shape of it. And, and bell with a higher profile will tend to ring or sound closer to a, a proper bell. Is that yes. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the... The bell determines so many factors in the symbol. For one, it, it's fundamental pitch. A high or low pitch symbol is determined by the bell. The wash, the crash, uh, volume is determined by the bell. How the sustain of the crash was well, maybe determined a little bit more by 
other factors, but the bell factors into everything. The bell is the most important part. So if you want a drier symbol and you want a shorter sustain, by hammering the bell, maybe having some distortions in it, you knock out the purity of the bell sound. That won't translate across into the bow sound and thus gives you a little more stick definition, a little faster decay, and a little slightly drier sound. And the term dry is loosely interpreted. You have to compare apples to apples when you want to talk about dryness. How do you define dryness, actually? That's another great, that's another very common describing word. It could be, I think, lack of upper frequencies and also sustain. You want a fast decay so that when you hit it, the symbol decays quickly, or at least certain frequencies do, so that if you are playing a fast ride pattern, the symbol beat is heard each individual beat. The swell doesn't build up, the wash doesn't build up, and interfere with hearing the stick sound and the individual beat that the symbol can create. Thank you. Beautiful. That's, that was the definition I needed. That made a, Actually, that made a lot of things clearer for me. And then what I did want to ask or mention, as I'm sorting through these symbols in a very intimate way on my own here, I'm noticing my preference, and as I look back at my experiences with symbols through about my 20-year total career of drumming, playing, listening, I tend to prefer symbols that don't have very much prominence of fundamentals Mm -hmm. so some of these and i think the absolute kind of brings us to what i'm talking about i'm i prefer not to have when you can hear that growling that very tonal quality of the symbol Mm -hmm. i've always preferred for that to be washed by the overtones maybe washed is the wrong word but just more overtones brightness and that of the like what causes, you might have said it, and that's why I'm asking you, but what causes more prominent, like, fundamentals in a symbol? The, we would call it the drone note, and it's a, dreaded, right. it's a dreaded quality to some of us. Other people like it. Like and a tonal symbol, yeah, like you might and, call it. Yes, and it's, it, it can be very elusive and difficult to remove. And I, in some cases, I have not been able to remove it, at least not to the degree that I want it out of there. Primarily, the shape, the profile shape. The, the flatter a symbol is, I feel that, meaning more crash-like in profile, you're less likely to have that drone set in because the symbol itself is able to dissipate that energy quickly. If you stiffen up a symbol and maybe have a nice arch, a relatively medium profiled height, nice arch on it, you start to get to a point where you have to be careful about where the stiffness is concentrated. If you have too much stiffness on the outer edge, the center part can act like a diaphragm, maybe much like a a node in a steel pan drum that sort of dynamic and it can be I've had symbols create the drone noise because I had a flat spot in my arch of the profile that went around a portion or most of the circumference of that that symbol surface or just one particular location that was 
either much higher or typically lower than the rest of the surface around it. It broke the arc of my profile. So I've created a node that will become a harmonic node that is close enough to the fundamental to become pronounced. And yes, we try to work those out. Thank having you said for having that, a comprehensive answer. Yeah, go on. Yeah, okay, with the Absolute Series. And I know what you're talking about. With, with the Absolute Series, that series is designed to emphasize the fundamental note. You will have a lot of that lower end drone in some of the, especially in some of the crashes, uh, not so much the rides. That alloy is made to decay quickly. It's supposed to give you your fundamental hit note, uh, your crash dynamic right at the very beginning and then fade out and get out of the way. And so you'll notice that the high end is greatly reduced. It's almost like it's a taped symbol. Um, it, it, does its, it sounds like a symbol for the first three quarters of a second. And then all of a sudden it just does this weird fizzle out. And you're just left with little over, little overtones and frequencies that are just, they're, le they're low enough in the mix that they won't be heard by other people on the bandstand. And I thought that the Absolute Series was going to probably work well for your application. It turned out for you, it went the other direction, that the heightened high-end frequencies was a plus. Um, the Absolute Series tends to appeal to uh, drummers that play in loud volume situations, but are mic'd, because it's not really a high volume symbol. So if you try to drive that symbol to a, a really loud volume, the cut is not, is not there in terms of dBs. It's only there in terms of sounding like a symbol that's being hit hard, but without right. the actual volume. I felt like I was playing it too hard, yes. and I knew I wasn't playing it too hard. Yes. So now if you were playing uh, with a kit that had mics on it, and you were listening to yourself through ear monitors or an artificial soundscape in a live situation, you might have enjoyed the absolutes better. Your sound man would love them because it, he doesn't have to cut out all that high frequency stuff to get your cymbals to come through the speakers. That's what that series is designed for. Oh, or the other opposite uh, end of the spectrum, if you're playing like uh, a cafe and you're seating for 30 people and you have a small combo, you can play with a little more kinetic energy and not have the cymbal overtake the stage sound or the room. So that's what I like about them is if you use the absolutes in the thin weight series, you can play them with a little more oomph in your hand without the volume being too much for the application. It's being I used have here. one right here. Let's let's give a listen. Okay, go for it. back Burke mm -hmm. I hear broadness to this symbol as well there is a grandiosity to it it's still speaking but yeah ooh, 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 
is in it. There's definitely its own, it's got its own hum. And the high end that I hear in, at that first part of the stroke, as you mentioned, is not present later on in the symbol. It just brings itself down, almost like it's gated, which yes. I think was, was your words back, mm-hmm. back then. But I might take this one out one more time. Depends on the gig. Part of this experience has gotten me thinking about, I've been playing the same symbols on every gig. It's kind of like my setup is my setup. Maybe I should have an arsenal. At the same time, that means more symbols I carry in on my back, and less the less weight you got, the better. Yes. But I'm not done pondering this one. It's a great symbol. What did you say the alloy was? Okay, that is the B21, and it has a, a percentage of iron added to it. And it's the iron that brings about the, the decay and the shortness of sustain, and also dampens some of the upper frequencies. It's troll. Yeah, and iron is it's a malleable uh, metal. It's not resilient to snapping back. It allows for flexibility. So I have a feeling that is why that is added in there and produces the strongest effect. B21, the fact that he added 1% more tin is probably to offset a little bit of the iron iron's effect. I would have to ask Toshio-san about that. I'm, again, just guessing. Odd, you would think you'd add one metal to do one thing, and then you'd up another percentage of a different one to even that out. I'm sure that they played with several different versions of that alloy before they settled on this. And I also would like to say that not every one of the Absolute series, what, are you, this is a 17 that you're playing? 17 medium thin. Right. And if not all of this 17 medium fins would have the drone to the same degree. You could have some variation in that. I've also noticed that in the larger symbols that the that fundamental drone factor seems to disappear. So that could call for possibly changing a variable to if we wanted to remove that quality. As you said before, there's a lot of the guy's got a lot of options at his fingertips. Yes, and once you it seems it feels like to me that once you have a pronounced drone, and from a maker standpoint, you really have to change some some parameters to get that out of there. Because uh, that symbol, I can tell you that the way that it's fabricated, its profile shape, roundness, and everything is perfectly symmetrical and dialed in. In other words, it's almost too perfect. Hmm. That's the that's part of the pitfall of shaping. The closer, like a perfectly formed bell, will have a purer tone than one that has a lump in it. Hmm. Same thing with heavily hammered symbols versus symbols that are hammered with a flatter hammer face and more smoothly shaped will have a more pure sort of a sound to them, whereas a heavily hammered, dented up one will have a lot more white noise and complexity, generally speaking. This is so critical, the vocab you're using, and I'm so glad we're, I think we're arriving at this point, because if I approach the symbol with a lump in the bell, I might think, oh, cool, let's see how that sounds, and I might, you know, remember that I thought it was awesome, but not remember why, or... I might remember that it wasn't so great, but essentially I would be in this cyclical trying things out and not really Mm -hmm. understanding what's going on. 
that in the construction and the end result of the symbol that makes it a symbol I like or don't like. On that, let's go to the 703. I have an 18-inch 703 crash symbol here. I have not gigged this symbol out yet. I'm afraid to because I am not sure that I can afford it just yet. And I know that I like it a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's the problem um, with the 703 so, series. So yeah, so here's the 703 series. My God. <laughs> Here's something new. Here's my reaction when I struck this symbol just now. And I've been playing this on my set at home for a bit. It just, there was a chorus to that just now. It just went, ah, and sang. Uh, not in a fundamental tone way as we were talking before about the absolutes, but there is a chorus in that symbol. Why does the 703 sound so beautiful? Okay, the 703 series is completely hammer-shaped, a combination of power hammer and hand hammering. The power hammering is used primarily to do, I would call it the heavy lifting of shaping. It's what he uses to just move the metal, manipulate it, and get the general shape to manifest. And then from that point, he will use hand hammering to, to voice the symbol and give it that whatever unique quality he wants. The 703 series, every one of them is gonna sound different. It's really not, we call it a series. It's designed to sort of really super broadly be a Turkish sounding symbol in style, typically jazz weights, thinner. And this chorus of the effect you're hearing is really all about complexity is the term that we'll use. So there are, because it's hammer-shaped, guided by a, a, a man in his brain and his hands, you don't have 100% uniformity in the profile. And so the, those variations, like little lumps and dips and things across the whole surface, also the profile shape, height, all these factors come together and they create different harmonic notes that will sing and it's how they blend together as to whether it's harmonious a lot of sympathetic vibrations could come through sympathetic meaning one frequency drives another area to vibrate at a particular another frequency or similar frequency um, or at least a frequency in that harmonic overtone series so that's why that symbol sounds to you like it has a chorus of voices. It's because there are multiple voices, frequencies that are being emphasized in the spectrum that it produces at the same level. And they're mixing together and creating a stew of sonic traits. Yeah, been, it's... Like the Brilliant is extremely uniform in its shape, it's hammering. 
And that's why the upper frequencies come through so high and so clean and clear is because there's no disruption happening um, mechanically to the sh from the shape and the process of shaping it. It's uniform. It's, it's homogenous. I see. Just the other notes that I had, smooth and buttery, and without leaning too far into the Fred Armisen joke, it is a dark crash. It's super complex, and it's, and, and it's, it's the heavens and the underworld at the same time. Really, <laughs> such a beautiful piece. The beauty of this is that we'll now have, like we were saying, you can't really listen on Instagram, right? I think that a lot of people are listening to podcasts in their cars, Mm -hmm. Burke, now we'll have brought symbols into their car stereos. Just a much better yeah. listening environment. It, much better than the, the phone in your hand. Yeah. The 703, again, I'm afraid to gig this one because I know I'm going to like it. We'll see. Maybe I'll Don't be it. scared, Frank. Don't be scared. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to toss this. It sounds like a pitch. It's really not, but this is, everybody has the same reaction about this. I'm afraid to love it. it it's, it's outside of my budget or it's going to cost too much for me right now. And my answer is come back next month, you know, uh, with the extra $200 you need. Because you want to buy the symbol you love. Don't buy the right. one you compromise on. You will regret it. You truly will have wasted $400 on one symbol that sort of meets your general needs and instead of paying for the $600 for the one you love, that $200 will evaporate in no time while you're loving your symbol. You will not regret it and you won't look back on it. And it's not that huge of a leap. It's all relative to what your budget is, of course, but it's not the same as if you were looking at a 18 inch old K the same thing applies, but it's not that expensive when you compare it to what other symbols can cost. Gotcha. No, I've heard there's a bunch of different ways you can cut this, and I think they're all correct, actually. And I'm glad. You can pitch a little bit. It's the way we're thinking about these things, and that does need to change. You know, like, you should have good tools for the job, right? Like, snap on a snap-on wrench costs six times as much as a craftsman wrench right but it'll last you forever and it feels good and it makes you feel good when you use it and when we're talking about something that's music where it's supposed to move your what did the greeks call it their word for the emotions and spirits ethos pathos no. i don't know i don't know i should know but i don't it's supposed to move you, right, physically and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically, right? You're talking about something that someone made on this planet, and now you can use it and play it and have it in your hands. So, But great. you don't want to the take out an expensive symbol to a juke joint type gig where it could easily get knocked over or lifted or beer spilled on it or mm. whatever. There, there's a time and a place for, for certain symbols, where it matters okay. and where it doesn't. Checks and balances, Burke. The, the, are you ready for the 10J now? I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. No notes yet. I'll play it and we'll, here we are.
another beautiful symbol. Yeah, the 10J um, series is meant to be a cost-effective version of the 703. It doesn't quite get the same degree of time and attention put into the manufacturing, meaning that it's spun form and a production setting like the other Koide symbols, but it does receive some hand hammering and over hammering to add some complexity into it and some trash, white noise to, to make it have a little more of an organic and a little more a stronger personality individual personality. The 703s are, there's a lot of variation within the series. The 10J has less variation, but it still can be quite different from symbol to symbol. It's going to be really, it's going to sound like the sibling to the next one rather than a distant cousin like the 703. Okay. I have it noted and my reaction in live here is that it is a little harsher than the 703. The attack is a bit more pronounced, similar, but not quite the same as that brilliant crash that we listened to first. Mm -hmm. um, there's just an edginess to it, which I may end up liking more when I gig it live. Both of these symbols, I think I'm going to take them out to, to my next one with my kit and play them side by side. And they're different enough that I think it will serve the gig fine, but I'm trying to figure out if I can like one more than the other. The cost effectiveness is appealing to me at this point in time, just because I have to buy a car in the very, very near future. But a really cool symbol. It's beautifully put together. I can see the overhammering, and and it feels organic and authentic. Mm -hmm. But uh, some more consistency in the line serves its purpose for the catalog, and. Wonderful, the 10J. Those are the examples I have. If you wanted to round anything out, maybe if there's anything that ties them together, or if you want to move to your examples. I just one more thing to say about the 10J is we sure. view the 10J as a good workhorse style symbol. It's a little more complex than say, we always use Zildjian for comparison, but it's more complex than an A. It's not quite as warm or quiet as a K. It can get you can rock out on it or you can swing on it. It will straddle both worlds quite easily. And we're actually expanding that line to have some new varieties like a half, we call the half Turk, which means it's unlathed on top and fully lathed on the bottom. And that just adds a little more articulation and dryness, faster decay. Nice. Because we want to have that, because we view that series as a versatile series, we want to have a little more variation in different symbol styles. Right now, the 10J, as with the 703, only comes in 14 and 15 inch hats, 18, 20, and 22 inch crash to ride. So we might expand a few sizes in that series, but we don't go crazy like we do with the Brilliant and the Absolute and Cadence, where you can get all your odd number inch sizes 15, 17, 19, 21, of course, in between your, your even number sizes, inch sizes. So that's okay. that about all I need to add about the uh, 10J. No, thank you. I've just, overall impression is I love all these symbols here. It's, it's like picking a favorite, not ch favorite child, but favorite food maybe, because I love eating. And it's been a great experience to have these in my hands. I appreciate it. Do you want to pull up your first example, Burke? 
Okay, sure. Well, I'm going to start with this oddball, which is, it's the Tang symbol. EMJ, EMJ Mod, as he is known in the symbol world. He's Japanese. He has an interest. He's a drummer. He's a fine drummer. He's also a jewelry maker, a visual artist. He covers a lot of turf. But he is a symbol smith that comes at it from a completely different approach. He, I have yet to see a symbol that squarely falls into the traditional symbol genre. Everything he does is always a little off-center and quirky, very unique sounding. He came up with this idea. We call it the Tang, and basically it's a symbol that has been segmented like a pizza from the outside in, radial cuts. They stop just before the bell. Then each lobe or tang has been hammered and tuned, so you get a different pitch. So it's like having a almost sort of a gamelan sort of instrument, a xylophone. I don't know. It's 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 the only neat thing. So I'll tap that, and uh, we'll see how it sounds. So it changes pitch on each segment, but also within each segment. Because of the, the way that they're hammered, you can get or produce two or three different tones out of each segment. Uh, it's a really cool instrument. It's done really well at uh, NAMM shows. Every time we have it out, it just catches people like crazy. It's been a, an excellent product. One very famous fusion jazz drummer who I can't mention because they're connected with a very large cymbal company, but he said that it was the most innovative product that he's seen at a NAMM show in many years. Yeah, we were very excited to, and he purchased one. My guess is that cymbal, and I, I think I, this is the one I was asking you to bring out. It had to be that tonal style. Yes. That, yeah, my guess is that cymbal could be very big amongst the collegiate crowd where you have some odd percussion repertoire and some interesting composers trying to write it into their multi setup. Yes. That and that is probably the that is the bulk of the that's the demographic that buys this symbol. Yeah. Kit players they all like it, but it's not such an easy thing to apply to your kit. You'd use it once in a song and that would be it. But as a, a percussionist you would find a way to use it in multiple ways. I mean, we have it a 14 Terry inch Bozio version. Who said, it yeah. was Terry Bozio who said that it was the most innovative thing he's ever seen, right? It was not, but... Um, oh, yeah. Well, okay. well, but, <laughs> but he belongs with that symbol. Uh, that, that it, symbol. This would be a perfect uh, Terry Bozio symbol. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also he sold... Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Well, do you remember, I guess, about three or four years ago, King Crimson was touring and they had... Is it, is it Gavin Harrison or Garrison? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, I, I didn't gosh. know. Pat Mastelato and Jeremy... I'm probably just trashing all these names or getting them all wrong. But anyway, I do know that Pat Mastelato caught up with EMJ while he was in Japan and picked one up. And if I got to see that King Crimson tour with those three drummers out front. It was the perfect 
situation for that instrument, those players, any one of them, this tang symbol would have been at home on their kits for that music. Awesome. Okay, so what I have here is a selection of 20-inch symbols. Two, I'm not going to mention the name of for now, and then three, I will. And we've already touched a little bit on one of them, which is the 703 series. But I can discuss a little bit about bell size, and then we can tie a little bit of this into cost versus value and how we want sure. to assess that. Sure. This is comparing apples to oranges in many ways, even though they're all the same size. The methods of construction are completely different. The alloys are different. Bell sizes are different. We can tap into some of that and what effect those parameters have on the sound of a cymbal. Because we've messed with the Brilliant already, I'm going to bring in another one. This is a Brilliant 20-inch Crash Fin that I like as a, like a left-side ride as an antidote to a hand-hammered Turkish jazz ride. So you can go from something that's smoky, maybe a little drier, and then give it that lift when you come to the B section with your left-side ride. And the Brilliant's great for that because of the contrast. It also just cleans the, clears the air when you go to the lift you get from one symbol to the other. So, okay, this, this is, is the brilliant 20-inch ride? Yeah, brilliant 20, 20-inch crash, thin. Used, oh, okay. or I like it to use it as a ride because to me it sounds like almost like a flat ride. Very much Roy Haynes' work with Chick Corea uh, to the present period. Um, that's that super... Roy Haynes flat ride is actually pretty iconic, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, okay. This has, of course, has the bell, so you're going to have a little more sustain and more crashability, but it has that certain Roy Haynes element to it. So let me just tap it here. And the bell. Very icy. And a sustain that rings, as yours does. The lighter ones have a little shorter sustain than the medium weight and above. Well, that's another thing, too, with Koei symbols is that their weight table is different than maybe what we're used to with Zildjian's or the other brands that we're familiar with. If you're normally playing a medium weight symbol, with a Koei symbol, you may want to try a medium thin. In Japan, they, their personal taste is a slightly cleaner, pingier, uh, washier sound than here, with the exception of the diehard jazz crowd, which everybody likes the same, same thing. Okay. All right, so next, that's a B23. So now I'm going to hit, this is one of mine, and it's meant to be a jazz ride, crash ride. It's, it's a 20-inch, and the weight... 19,000, excuse me, 1,900 grams. Sounds dark, doesn't it? So from through the phone, <laughs> both symbols sounded completely different, actually, because we are just listening on phone mics to each other, but they sound like 
bizarre, horrifying sound effects that you would yeah. hear in a movie, and you wouldn't know how they produced them. Glass breaking, but your heart is exploding at the same time from some yeah. demon monster. There's, it's there's insane. nothing that harkens to a cymbal sound at all across the phone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. And I was, and don't get me wrong, Burke, I'm enamored by your description of the last Koei day as well. Tell me about this, this 20-inch Burke's works. This is okay. a, cra- a crash ride also? I would call it a crash ride. It, it 1,900 grams, it, it would work as a main ride for a jazz setting. If you're a little more rocked out situation, you could use it as a crash ride. It is meant to be slightly dry, even though it is fully lathed. And part of that is, let's listen to the bell. So there's a little bit of meat there, but not much. It's a little bit, again, icy. It has metallic knock to it. That helps with the, in quotation marks, dryness on the bow sound. The less pronounced the bell, the, the more articulation you'll probably have out on the bow when you're playing a ride pattern. That's why jazz bells tend to be either a little lower profile or a little smaller in diameter. If they are larger, then by distorting the bell a little bit, you can disable that. Let me take as an example going to a different symbol, which has this one is 2,185 grams. It's 200 grams heavier. Am I correct in that? Oh, no, excuse me, Bob. And this will be an unnamed symbol, or is this one of yours? No, this is not one of mine, and I'll tell the name of it in a minute. So we have 200 gram difference. We have a drastic difference in profile. This this one has more of the classic umbrella shape, meaning that it has a stronger arch across the bow, and say the last third of that profile as you move to the outside hooks downward more sharply. The bell is... Actually, it's slightly larger than mine that I just played. And let me hit this symbol. This is a more complex sounding symbol. It has a certain hollowness to it, is the term I like to use it, and it has more of a ta than a ting. That is all due to the higher profile. The lathing, there are deeper tonal groove lathings. So like on mine is more of just a clean swipe across the surface, relatively smooth. This one has been lathed in a similar fashion, but then they come back with a sharper tipped tool and move quickly across the surface of the symbol when it's being turned and gouging in a deep spiral that, let's say the spacing is approximately a quarter inch apart between each groove. So that sort of sets up a little bit of a, I like to look at it almost like a, a spring sound. You know, you have a, like a, on a screen door, it's stretched and you z- touch that spring and it makes has a certain like a plate reverb or spring reverb um, sort of sound that type of lading to me is what brings in that certain quality
does not really sound like a bell at all, even though that bell is larger than the other examples I have here. But it is also asymmetrical and it's lumpy. And that essentially dampens the bell and removes it from the bow sound. And that's why the bow sound is so articulated is part of the profile height and that bell being basically incapacitated. It has been taken out of the sonic range of the cymbal. So you don't hear it as much. You hear more of it's really you're just getting the bow sound without much bell. We call it bell integration. So a cymbal that has There's a pitch that remains in the crash, in the sustain of the crash, that is directly corresponding to the pitch of the bell. With jazz cymbals, a lot of times you'll notice that the bell is not a pronounced sound like it is in, let's say, a rock or pop cymbal. And that is because you're wanting more bow sound, more wash, more stick sound, and you want the crash to maybe be explosive, but you want it to get out of the way. You want that recovery from a crash back to the ride pattern. You want to be able to hear that ride pattern pick right back up again, rather than fade back into, into view. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. This is amazing. We, and then going, going on over, I'm just going to compare the, see the 703. Small bell. Um, it's kind of low pitched. complexity in the bell, but I'm not hearing it so much in, in the rest of the cymbal. The bell is slightly out removed, and that, in, the, in my opinion, in jazz cymbals is very important. Now, a good strong bell, on the other hand, and there's nothing wrong with having a good bell sound in a jazz cymbal, that's going to give you a lot of projection and more stage volume. It depends entirely upon application again, and there's, there's always a compromise that's being made and the player has to know how to work those compromises to their advantage, especially when they're in a disadvantaged situation. So you might travel with an extra. I always, when I would do a gig and I was going to a new location, I have a 21-inch Kate custom special dry ride. And I always would keep that symbol in my bag because many times I might roll up to a gig and... I'm in the corner between two brick walls or it's an old storefront and they like a restaurant or a cafe and they put the band right up next to the plate glass window. Um, you're, that's, <laughs> I heard you say this, I think. Yeah, it's a form of hell for a drummer because all you hear is your cymbal. So that dry cymbal gave me a way to, to manage my sound and my volume in that what application. Was the, what was the one you played now that, that was not named? Okay, let's see. We'll play just a... Okay. 
Okay, so that's just five different symbols. Let's see, one, two. Two of these symbols fall in the $600 range, one in the $700 range, and then the other two are $2,000 a piece. Which one sounds better? I admit that the one is a Spitzakino and the other one is made by Manabu. And the Spitzakino is purely a matter of, well, I do love the symbol for personal reasons, but it's a vanity piece. I admit that right up front. I just bought it back at the Chicago show. I've wanted to have one from the beginning. I'm in this symbol biz and gosh darn it, I deserve a Spitzakino. It, 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 that's how I rationalized it, and it, it makes no sense at all, even though it is good to have some symbols like this around as far as a reference or like a sort of a master symbol to work with and study and admire. While um, we're on the topic, mm -hmm. I just wanted to shout out the importance of Spitzakino in the community, and I, I didn't know, really, and, and I have read through the symbol book. It's a small textbook sized book on symbols. I'm pretty sure I've been through the whole entire thing. Spitzakino is mentioned, but the gravity of Spitzakino falls by the wayside when they're talking about lots of individual symbols. When they're talking about the larger companies and some smaller makers, and it's just, yeah, this Italian guy made great symbols. That's how it comes across in the book. They might say a little bit more about him than that, but from listening to makers, and the Drum History Podcast and Reverie Podcast, Spitzakino was a prodigy, is that right? Yeah, he was a, he, he was the, he was simultaneously the first and the best, in a way, of the independent Smith world outside of Turkey and Turkish makers. And he devoted himself to, specifically to the, the old K vibe and the old masters symbols that were coming out of Turkey from the 50s and into the early 70s. The 50s through 60s K phase is the one that everybody's after. Your jazz guys anyway. And he spent his or devoted his time to working with that context of symbol and he also was he liked funky sounding symbols. So all of his symbols are very unique. There is a lot of variation. Like this one that I purchased, I had the good fortune of choosing between a dozen of them. So it wasn't like I was just buying the one and only Spizzacchino that this vendor had. I got to choose mine the, by the sound and which one I liked the most. I probably would not have purchased it unless I just loved the sound of it. If it was just the only one there, I, I would not want to make that I would not want to buy a symbol that way. Um, the plot thickens. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think that his symbols are known for having a lot of personality. I think that also it taps into something that he was well aware of. It's that the complexity, the combinations of overtones, the, sometimes the dissonance within the sound is actually of an attribute that you want in your symbol. And that goes from that proximity versus distance thing. Symbols that have a lot of swirling overtones actually sound really beautiful with some distance because that is what pushes past all the other sounds coming off of the stage or behind the kit. It's that mix. Mm. It's sort of like individual flavors create a whole new flavor when combined. 
that's what's happening with all these weird overtones is that with a little bit of distance, and I'm comparing distance to time, they meld together and create more of a one singular voice with a little bit of space. Yet they still remain inspiring to play. That's another thing too. The symbol that I had that was so terribly voiced up close but sounded great at a distance, it was so bad behind the kit, I could not play it. And the other band members who were having to sit right next to me, nobody really liked that symbol. They didn't like, they definitely didn't like it when I played it. But yet every time I recorded it or every time I let somebody else sit in and I went out in the audience, I loved the way the symbol sounded. But I, I had to sell it because I couldn't play it. And that had to do with my experience level as a musician, also not having fully grasped the idea of having to trust that my sound was good out there. But also, it just was uninspiring. If somebody called a ballad and I were to hit that symbol, it was just, God, awful. It only really what sounded What did you replace good. it with? Some, uh, let's see, that was at Istanbul. Um, it got 21 Jazz Turk Ride, and I, at that point, I would have, I had a Zildjian A vintage, like a late 50s model, and that sort of became my main symbol for a while until one of mine started to, to meet the standards that I wanted. Um, I, I was a symbol swapper. It would change up constantly. But I did end up going in favor of a symbol that sounded great behind the kit, and then I learned that same lesson from a different angle, which is it's not always all that reliable a way to to consider how you sound it's a fact i don't know it's you have to figure this out on your own the best way to do it is have somebody else play your kit in a context that you are familiar with so that you can assess how the symbol translates with with distance and changing your stick too that's another thing that's a major factor huh yeah and it's so hard to get somebody that sounds the way you think you sound right or that can play oh, it's like you're pretty saying. much impossible and then and then you have to put yourself in this position where you're saying to another musician hey i'm not really sure what's coming across could you try and do what i do and i'll go listen because you know that gets into some funny territory too but it's so to it's totally you need to you have to yeah and the other thing is the guy has to or person has to use the same stick that you're using if they if they they like five A's and you play AJ twos, you're going to have an entirely different sound regardless. Even if you were the one playing it, the stick is incredibly huge. Fi I was on Vic Firth five B's today. That's what I've been playing a lot, or Promark five B's. But what did you play with? I typically play with I like the AJ series, and I like to play with the AJ one to the AJ three, but then I'll go to seven A or even an eight A on occasion. Yeah, and variations on that. I would say your typical sort of acorn tip or teardrop tip. And now, I, yeah, that, that's sort of where I'm selling. I like a little bit of taper in my stick because I like, uh, maybe what I'm doing is I'm compromising, I'm compensating for bad technique, which is I'm relying <laughs> a little bit more on the springiness of a wispy tip or a shoulder uh, to give me a little more rebound, uh, whereas a more advanced player would you could hand them a broomstick and they're still going to make it sound great. The stick, yeah, I didn't realize. Actually, again, this guy at the drum center, Dennis, 
I was trying some symbols out at his place, and he said, oh, no, 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 you, you got to use a light stick on that one. It's not a heavy stick. And I went, oh. So, little by little. Burke, I think oh. this is where we're going to wrap it up today. Okay, but well, uh, hold on. I, one quick okay. thing I want to add in. Um, oh, sure, thank sure. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, this was a little tip that, that Paul Francis actually told me about years ago, and it has proved to be true, which is if you're going to go symbol shopping and you have your stick with you, your favorite size or brand or whatever, of course, tap the symbol with the uh, stick in the normal fashion, but when you really want to hear what's ugly about a symbol, turn your stick around and tap it with the butt end of the stick. And it's going to bring forward all the weirdness that's within a symbol. It's going to become more... In other words, you won't be enamored with, say, the wash. And underneath of that, there might be this harmonic dissonance that you're not hearing because you're... The pretty stuff is up in your face, but if you flip your stick over and use the butt of the stick, the other side, other voice of the symbol will come more, become more pronounced, and you can assess whether that symbol is actually what you want or not. So I, add that I to your arsenal. I play the butt of the stick often, so it's uh, valid. It maybe good, maybe bad, maybe neutral, but important. That's a great. It's just a, yeah, it gives you a different sense or a different perspective from that same symbol. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, I, I really appreciate all the time we spent today and all the work we've been doing together. I want to give like uh, I want to give a huge thanks and word of support to you and Koei Day Symbols and what you're doing. Well, thank because you so prior to this, I may have mentioned that you had sent me several videos. I currently have a large almost two handfuls of symbols from you. But you had sent me several videos where we tried to narrow down what I was going to be testing mm -hmm. and showing for this podcast. And I may buy one or two here, but I have to strongly encourage anybody who thought, wow, these things came across really nicely on my listening device. Reach out to Burke and at Burke's Works on his Instagram. It was Instagram that we connected as has the, been the case for a lot of people from my podcast, but you're very hands-on in the process. It's clear that you are madly in love with this world, symbols in particular. You probably are sleeping with some under your pillow, you psycho. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's, it's just been nothing but a wonderful boutique experience that has made me has helped me narrow down and think about my own sound and made, and I've come to understand so much more about symbol construction and symbol, uh, symbol making and the un end result and the product and the vocab about how these things are sounding and why they make your playing unique. Burke, you are a treasure. I oh. can't tell you how much I appreciate it. That, thank you so much for the kind words, and I, I really appreciate hearing that was actually beneficial for you. I can ramble on about symbols forever, as proven here, but uh, it's nice getting feedback that is positive like that. It lets me know that it's helpful, because uh, I, I love to send videos. I want to make sure that we're narrowing it down to things that you actually want to have on your list of choices, and, and everybody hates a return product. You hate to ship it out. I hate to receive it. I want you to get the symbol you want. That's the name of the game. 
It's awesome. You're awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Frank. It's been a pleasure. Signing off. Okay, thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Frank's Percussion Podcast, brought to you by BronzePie.com and Koei Day Symbols USA. You can connect with Burke through BronzePie.com or on Instagram at BronzePieSymbols. Reach me at Frank's Percussion on Instagram if you have any ideas or want to be on the show. I love you.